Have you ever seen anything to equal it? That's what they call a my little one. Yes, a It's used for f***ing. I've shown it to your sister. I've shown it to all the little girls of your age. I show them my and then what do you suppose I do? I the in their face. That's my passion, my child. I have no other. And you're about to Can we use the beep for the rest of the podcast as well? Fuck no. You're listening to Outside of a Dog, where we decide whether great literature is actually any good. Hello, and welcome to Outside of a Dog. My name is Jonas. And I'm Christian. Hello. And this week we read the book that broke us. The 120 Days of Sodom by the Marquis de Sade. It was a spur-of-the-moment suggestion from my part, and I think I shouldn't have done that. I well, really shouldn't have done that. Well, at least it's well, it's been an experience, and I, I mean, it's not uncommon to look back on a sexual experience, regretting it and afterwards, maybe. But yes, this book is an extremely unpleasant read. I have to confess, I actually haven't finished this. I've read enough of the book to come to a conclusion, and... The conclusion is that I have no desire to finish it. Yeah, I have to say I also didn't finish the book. I mean, keep in mind, we read American Psycho, but Patrick Bateman is an amateur compared to the characters of The 120 Days of Sodom. What is the book actually about? Before we jump into conclusions and judgments, let's say what it is about. It's about four members of the French upper class in the late 18th century. A duke, his brother, a bishop, and a judge, and a banker, who all get married to each other's daughters, even though all the fathers have already had lots of sex with the daughters throughout their childhood and teenage years. Together they have... A nice little incestuous circle of fuckery that's going on. After a while, they get bored of that, though, and so they decide to kidnap eight boys and eight girls of 12 to 18 years, as well as eight men with enormous penises. And with this jolly little group of people, they withdraw to a distant chateau in the Black Forest of all places, where they continue to engage in horrible, horrible orgies of sex and violence. The titular 120 Days of Sodom are actually 120 days during which they are told stories by several old and experienced prostitutes about all the things that they did in their life. At the end of the 120 days, several people are dead. Three out of the four wives, for example. Also several of the young girls and boys and some of the men with large members. So it is very violent and that violence is incredibly sexualized. Sex and violence are basically indistinguishable, as you would expect from the man who gave the name to sadism. Indeed, the Marquis de Sade is obviously not only the name-giver, but the popularizer of sadism. Sadism plays a part in other pieces of writing by him, in Justine, for example, but it's nowhere as prevalent as in The 120 Days of Sodom, which was incidentally written in the Bastille. The Marquis started writing the manuscript while he was imprisoned, and because he didn't have that much paper... He wrote it on one single roll of paper, which he produced from pieces and bits that were smuggled into prison. 
So he wrote the entire manuscript on this roll, which was about 12 meters long. It would be interesting to know whether Jack Kerouac took that for an inspiration. When the Bastille was famously stormed in 1789, the Marquis thought his manuscript to be lost, but indeed it was recovered. If you are interested in that, the, the Wikipedia article shows that the story of the manuscript alone is quite an interesting one. It is without question that this book is pornographic. Uh, for example, in The Invention of Pornography, Lynn Hunt argues that no one has ever been able to top Saad because he had, in effect, explored the ultimate logical possibility of pornography, the annihilation of the body, the very seat of pleasure in the name of desire. The 120 Days of Sodom is all about that, really. For a long time, there is actually not much sex going on because they keep withholding actual fulfillment of their desire because they want to increase it even more. Well, there is a lot of sex going on simply in the description of the stories that have happened before. The stories, as you mentioned, told by the prostitutes, the stories of the four libertines, this kind of incestuous sex club they started. So from the beginning, this is about not just sex, but transgressive sex in any kind of direction. Incest is just the first step, basically. Pedophilic incest, indeed. And when we look at the stories that are being told in the castle, first stories... They're, they're called the simple pleasures. Passions. The, the, simple passions. And the simplest of passions, apparently, is what is called undinism. So enjoying being pissed on during sex. That and, is, and also ejaculating in a child's face. That is the, the, What could be more simple than that? That is actually the, the most simple thing that is being described in there. Apart from the constant references to masturbation and anal sex that happen all of the time during the 120 days. But that's just the beginning. All, all of the four main characters do prefer anal sex, actually. So that shows us how especially wicked they are, that they prefer to have sex with boys and that they prefer to be fucked by other men rather than engaging in vaginal sex, you know, the normal kind. That also might be the preference of the Marquis de Sade, actually. People have argued that there the pornographic part is deeply personal. That is what he probably craved most when he was alone in the Bastille. Though it's interesting how this morality, or at least the semblance of morality, comes out again and again. Of course, it's just an act that the Saad puts on. But, for example, all of the libertines, the foremen, are also very irreligious and anti-religious. Dorfman says, oh, this is so very horrible that they deny the existence of God and they punish any worship that goes on in this chateau that they withdraw to. But we know that Desaad was actually an anti-religious atheist himself, and so this semblance of morality is very ridiculous 18th century convention. Yes, it's interesting that these four characters, on the one hand, it's constantly said that they are basically the most evil villains they are, and they're explicitly called villains, and everything they do, any action, is basically to show how evil they really are. They are not just sexual perverts, they're murderers, they are usurers. They abuse their power. Exactly. And the, the, the judge actually enjoys handing out death sentences to people he knows to be innocent. 
You've already mentioned American Cycle and Patrick Bateman. I was thinking, this book should be our favorite book of all time, you know? My favorite book is about a sexually aggressive serial killer. Your favorite book is about a pedophile. What could be more perfect than this now? But it's just horribly unpleasant. Instead of one Patrick Bateman, this book has four. And nothing interesting is done with them. Maybe this is a kind of catharsis. We were shocked so often by the prevalence of sexual assault and sexual violence in almost all of the books we read. And this is the climax, excuse the pun, of, of that tendency. This is nothing but sexual transgression, sexual violence, sexual sadism. So maybe after that, we kind of might be able to get rid of that specter. But, <laughs> I sure hope so. But in here, at least, it is the main point. It's what it's all about. What's interesting, though, is this is not a narrative that is coherent. There's no linear story to be told. The characters have as much consistency as characters you see on Pornhub. And that is exactly the point. They are not really characters, although this art takes a lot of time to introduce us to these characters. And, and that's actually a part that is not uninteresting, what do you mean? That, that the kind of biographies of... The, the biographies of the characters, they get tedious after you hear the 15th description of a whore who's so old and so rotten and has huge anal protrusions or whatnot. But at least the four libertines, where it's described how wicked they are, there that was kind of, oh my god, this man sounds horrible. But then, yeah, I just watched them being horrible. This is what a lot of people think American Psycho is, but actually you get an insight into the psyche of this man and you get an insight into the society he lives in. This book has the potential to be incredibly explosive societally. It was written on the eve of the French Revolution in the Bastille. There, there was this story that uh, Dessart was actually in the Bastille when it was stormed and that he sort of shouted out, uh, they're killing people in here and that that led to the whole storming of the Bastille, but that's not actually true. And even though all the characters are upper-class people, and you could read that as, oh, the upper classes are preying on the lower classes, nothing is done with it. It's never engaged with in any way. It's really just a depiction of the horrible acts of sex and violence in order to cause arousal. I think I would disagree there, but what is certainly true is that nothing much goes on beyond this kind of catalogue approach. In the beginning, it's a catalogue of characters, and you also might have noticed it's a very mathematical approach. You have four main characters, the four libertines, you have their four wives and daughters, you have four prostitutes telling stories, you have eight fuckers, so to say, although only four of them actually get names. One of them has the glorious name Bum Cleaver, Bum Cleaver which was probably my favorite part of the whole thing. So it's very mathematical. It's all about symmetry. I mean, the whole thing is called the 120 days of Sodom. And these 120 days are also divided mathematically. The libertines take the time to write down the charter of rules, what should be going on at which time, until which point they're going to do what when the young girls and boys will be deflowered, which month will take up how many sexual deviancies, and so on and so on. So the whole first part of the novel is all about the setup, about the characters, about the place, about how things are going to happen. 
And it takes a long, long time until we actually get to the main narrative, so to say. And even that is all about a catalog of what is going on. It's it's almost as a kind of, it's it's like records. On the fifth day, first they did that, then they did that, then they told this story. And, and, and therefore it's very appropriate that uh, in the later parts of the novel, it actually sort of disintegrates because Desart didn't have a lot of paper, he didn't have a lot of time, and so he started just writing out drafts of what he wanted to write, which actually is a blessing because that, that way at least you get it over with a bit faster. The, the one thing he paused to describe in detail in the later parts is the horribly brutal murder of one of the little girls, which really... Uh, Patrick Bateman, again, pales in comparison with it. And even that is painted in an almost methodical way. Each step is described one by one. And there's another, a bit more detailed part about the hell libertine, probably a kind of fictionalized version of Gilles Luret, a famous kind of sexual pervert in French history. And he basically just masturbates while 15 girls are tortured simultaneously. But even then, the 15 ways of torture are described one after the other. So this is maybe something that makes 120 Days of Sodom quite close to pornography again. That it's all about different configurations, different ways of kind of checking the list. Ah, we haven't had that position yet. We haven't had that combination yet. We haven't had that perversion yet. There is a kind of roteness to it kind of going by the numbers, which is, I think, something it has in common with much of pornography. It's kind of, yeah, we have something for everyone. Yeah, and that you can actually uh, go according to categories. Uh, yes, this is basically should... like the Pornhub categories. Yeah, you, you, oh. you should publish a Kindle version of the 120 Days of Sodom where you can check, okay, I want to read stories about torture by fire, stories about stabbings, and stories about anal sex. And that is the point. It's not as harmless as, I don't know, MILF or uh, interracial or whatever. T please tell us more about your <laughs> intimate knowledge of the Pornhub. <laughs> well, I would rather talk about that than mention the kind of perversions um, the sad things of. Some of them are actually almost funny in a way. I mean, if you get over your disgust... Yeah, for example, when the Duke on one of the first days says... I am such a manly man and I can drink so much that even when I have Bumcleaver's dick in my ass, I could still drink an entire bottle of wine in one draft. That's kind of funny, yeah. And some That's a good party trick. <laughs> and some of the later stories where it's all about yeah, mutilating and killing people, some of the ways in which these people are killed, I just can't imagine that anyone could have that kind of fetish. My favorite, and it kind of pains me to say that it is a favorite of mine in this context. One story is summarized as one man binds two pregnant women together and shoots them from a cannon. That Just that image alone is, is more <clears throat> what than... Um than disgusting in any way. Yes. Uh, um, I always thought the human cannonball was a thing that circuses started in the 19th century, but apparently not. So, obviously, the book didn't really do it for us, I would say, in a sexual way. way. But... But I think there are people who might enjoy it in that way. I mean, the, the context in which Desaad's name is most present nowadays, of course, is sadism, and that is most present in BDSM. So... 
sadism and masochism enjoying to inflict pain and enjoying to have pain inflicted upon you are quite common fetishes. And as we only arrived at this because of Fifty Shades of Grey, as the success of that shows, this is a fetish that becomes more and more mainstream, though, of course, in a watered-down version. Nothing in the Red Room can compare to anything in this Chateau of Tortures. But the fundamental aspect of BDSM, at least as far as I, as an outsider, understand it, is not so much about pain, actually, but about control and power play. And that's present in the book already. So it's not actually a misnomer to name it after Desaad. It's a lot about controlling people, about exerting power over them. And then you can make the case, maybe it's even okay that all these things are so horrible and unconsensual because it's fiction. It's a fantasy. And that's what BDSM is all about, about consensuously indulging in a fantasy about things that would be horrible crimes if done without consent. And yeah, it might seem really fucked up to someone who's not into that, but whatever floats the boat, as long as they're not actually doing it. I think there's still some misrepresentation of at least contemporary BDSM culture. Um, Of course, I mean, Fifty Shades of Grey, for example, there... This represents contemporary BDSM culture where they have a contract and then he violates that, which a lot of people find really horrible about it. And I agree because that sends a dangerous message. But exploring these things in fantasy is apparently what some people like. But I think in at least the 120 days of Sodom, obviously cruelty, control, that part that may be sexually arousing is definitely in the foreground but it's much more this is as we said a catalogue of of kind of deviancies and perversions to the very end and i think that is the main part this is a fantasy that may be sexual but it's a fantasy of transgression it's a fantasy of going beyond everything it's a fantasy of doing whatever the fuck you want and that might be part of sadist idea. But there, as we said, there's so many things that are not necessarily sadist. There are descriptions of necrophilia, of coprophagia, of anginism, of any kind of sexual fetish in some way. And it takes it to the very, 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 very extreme. And I think that is the kind of appeal of it, that... The sad, yeah, you're right, describes a fantasy. But it's a fantasy that's not necessarily just about control. It's a fantasy about doing whatever you want to do. And that also includes not giving a fuck about other people. I mean, the sad has been described as a kind of moralist philosopher, actually. Um, only his moral is that this world is shit. And the only thing that is any kind of value is to get some pleasure from it. And the more extreme the pleasure, the more exquisite maybe, but you shouldn't really pay attention to any kind of ethical or moral guidebook. The sad, as you said, mentions all the time how evil they are, but they go unpunished. And it's even more extreme in Justine, where the poor titular character endures one misfortune after the other simply because she's virtuous while her sister decides to become a prostitute and lives on rich and happily ever after so drop out of school kids so that is certainly a big part of that this kind of moral philosophy that yeah maybe these it's it's an amoral philosophy you might say that yeah. yeah these four libertines are 
maybe not only heroes of a sexual fantasy, but they might be heroes of some sort of thought experiment. And that is maybe even more disturbing or more disgusting in a certain way. So it's basically no surprise that so much of the novel is concerned with the methodical setup, describing the characters, the place, the events and so on. Because the setup is the most interesting thing. You can read so many things into it. The castle that is secluded from the outer world, in the castle walls, there are no rules. Anything goes. No, there are very strict rules. True. That is actually also quite interesting, that for people who transgress all the normal rules, these guys are very much focused on rules and, and th all the rules as they, they say all the rules that they have are about exerting power over the others especially their wives who they despise the most they say it's also quite interesting that whoever violates these rules will be punished but there is kind of list of people who will be punished but only on saturdays during the week and i think That is a fascinating element that also adds to the notion of control. You know you will be punished, but you don't know what it will be. And that is a quite horrifying idea as well. But one that is also quite interesting from a fictional point of view, that the sad adds, uh, you might call it suspenseful element, to something that lacks any kind of suspense or narrative arc in any other way. You can say that again. It's quite interesting that he adds... The... <laughs> Sorry. No, please don't say it again. Oh, so basically, I didn't enjoy reading this. And I can imagine that some people might, but I don't get it. And let's come to our judgments about No, no, this. no, 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 no. You have more to let's, say? Let's keep that pleasure for a while. Oh. <laughs> Actually, I wanted to say something, because while I agreed that sometimes I just couldn't read on and I didn't finish the book, there were moments where I was really intrigued by This kind of, yeah, fantasy. Not that I would like it in any sort of way, but simply that the Saad came up with this idea. And you can actually read it in different ways. I mean, it is about control. It is about power. And you can read it as a sexual fantasy. You can read it as a kind of philosophical, moral fantasy. You can also read it as a political fantasy, obviously, written at the dawn of the revolution, still in the old Ancien Regime. You can also read it, I think, as a general model of control in any way. I think this is basically Michel Foucault's wet dream. The interesting, he didn't write about it a lot. Uh, it's, it's all about power and control and sex. And Foucault wasn't very interested in it. Maybe it is, was too extreme. Or maybe it had become sort of an old hat because the book wasn't actually published in the 18th century. It was only published in the early 20th century. And then in the mid-20th century, it got a lot of academic attention. And then by the time Foucault came around, maybe he thought, yeah, people have sort of written about that a lot already. So the fascination for me is more this idea of how can you come up with this? And then you have to think about human history, about the cruel things humans have come up with for sexual reasons, for power reasons, philosophical reasons, and you realize, yeah, maybe if you're very cynical, Castle of Silling is just a model of our world, especially in the 20th century, where violence in a systematical and methodical way has become a horrible and yet inextricable part of political history. And I don't want to get too kind of, ooh, this is so deep. Yeah. And the Marquis de Sade yeah. was ahead of his time because... You're up so far your own ass, de Sade might already enjoy this. <laughs> Actually, it's quite interesting. There's a very nice adaptation of The 120 Days of Sodom 
in a comic book, The Invisibles by Grant Morrison, where the Marquis de Sade basically is confronted with his own creation. And what he says is, I try to show them where it would all lead, the hypocrisy of the Enlightenment. These are the monsters bred by the God of Reason. And then another character says, Come of it! Why don't you admit you're just a dirty old sod? And the Marquis de Sade says, Well, that too. <laughs> so I think that explains or elucidates a lot of the appeal that 120 Days of Sodom had for many people. That it is this extreme thought, this extreme transgressive thought experiment that is also yeah, basically just a perverted sexual fantasy. I really cannot share that. I don't understand the fascination with it. And I am probably one of the people who should be most interested in this for someone who doesn't get arousal from it. I am at least partly a historian as well. I am interested in the history of sexuality, sexual morality especially. I have the book The Invention of Pornography about the history of pornography on my bookshelf, which I read for a class. So I'm posed basically to enjoy this as a historical artifact. But it's not significant. It's, yes, an interesting example of 18th century pornography, but not a very relevant one. It wasn't published in the 18th century. It wasn't published in the 20th century, and I can understand why there people said, ah, oh, you see, all these things we're talking about, uh, they have a tradition. But there's so much more interesting pornography. There's an Italian book from the 16th century, which is about the battle of the cocks and balls against the asses and cunts. And that is a political allegory for the conflict of the Guelphi and Ghibellini. That's so much more fun. That's so much more interesting. Rather than this catalogue of a dirty little schoolboy telling you, yeah, and then like this happened, and then my dick was really big and I jizzed so much. No, it's really unappealing and dirty, but not in a good way. So, hard to recommendation by you? No. Don't... I mean, if you think, oh yeah, that sounds like something I would really enjoy masturbating to, go ahead and please don't write us listener mail about it. <laughs> but for everyone else, don't waste your time on it. Well, I also can't recommend it. I mean, I had certain qualms recommending American Psycho simply because it is so horrible. And this is, as we said... American Psycho times 1000. So you don't have to read it. But I think there is still some merit to it. It is a, an almost idealized version of a certain tendency that is maybe pornographic, maybe political. And I think this idea, this castle in the middle of nowhere, where it's all about power and cruelty, that is an idea that has been quite influential in modernist and postmodernist literature. And you're right, it doesn't say anything about sexual mores of the 18th century, but it says something about sexual and political mores of later times. I'm just not that interested in the later times, probably. Well, you're lost. So don't read it, but if you want to know what all the fuss is about, and if you want to know why even the film version from the 1970s is still considered one of the most controversial films of all time. Have a look at it. You don't need to finish it. You really don't. Also buy it for Kindle because there it's free and you can hold it with just one hand. So since we both don't really recommend reading The 120 Days of Sodom, what else can we recommend? Well, maybe it's time to recommend something pornographic that 
actually is much less disturbing and is more about the fun you can have with sex. And there's one author that I would like to recommend who's dealt with this question quite a few times, one book in particular. The author is Nicholson Baker, and the book I would like to recommend is called Vox. It was published in the early 90s, and it gained some infamy because it was a book that Monica Lewinsky gave to President Clinton while they were having an affair. Shit! And it is a novel that is in dialogue form. It is two people on a sex hotline. They're basically having phone sex. And what is really interesting is that they also build up a kind of fantasy that ends, obviously, in sexual gratification. But there's much more to it. These characters who don't know each other still find out a lot about each other. So it shows the kind of intimacy and the playfulness of sex, even if it is just phone sex. And it is therefore much more warm-hearted and much more about, yeah, why sex is something great and why sex is fun. Baker also has written a novel called House of Holes, which is <laughs> even more of a sexual fantasy connected to building. So it might be the kind of anti-castle of ceiling there, but I haven't read that yet. So Vox is my recommendation. I just want to read some 18th century French smuts. And there is a really great example of that that I would say qualifies as great literature even. That is clever, witty, has interesting characters, that is funny, and that also has quite explicit sex in it, but in a much more playful and much more appealing way. And that is Les Liaisons Dangereuses by Pierre de la Clos. Uh, dangerous liaisons in English. My French isn't actually good enough to read in French. So. <clears throat> it's about amoral members of the nobility who make a game out of seducing a young woman who is inexperienced before she gets married and the wife of a man just because she's so virtuous and so pure and that really don't care about the people around them for one bit. But at least you have fun watching them do it. And it's... Funny, witty, dirty, everything you could want from your pornography. And it's still quite cruel and cynical, so yeah. you still get that. Yeah, they, they have very cruel intentions. So these are our recommendations, Vox and Les Liaisons Dangereuses. But if you have any opinions about the podcasts and the books we discussed, you can write us some listener mail at outsideofadogcast at gmail.com. You can also contact us via Facebook, where we have our own page, you can find us on iTunes, you can rate us there, and you can also have a look at our homepage outside of a dogcast.com. This episode is also the first where we'll have our new logo. This is courtesy of my good friend Marcus Buhl. So thank you very much for doing that for us, Marcus. Thanks, it's really, really great of you. And uh, you can find that on our Facebook page. Please really do rate us on iTunes and review us there. That helps us get a lot more visitors, become a lot more visible. Just pop over there, click that rate button and tell people what you like. Did you just say rate button? Rate with a T. Please do not press the rate button. So now we maybe had the most extreme reading experience of our podcast so far. So... Jonas, next week, it'll be all fluffy bunnies and flowers and so on. Well, after this art, there's really only one author you can read. So next episode, we're of course going to read Sacha Mazoch's The Venus in Fur. No, of course not. I'm kidding. Thank God. I've had enough of this. No, I... 
well, not maybe fluffy bunnies and flowers and everything hoity-toity happy, but I just thought there has to be some great literature that's not all about cruelty and people killing each other and raping each other. So my mind stayed within the 18th century, actually, a contemporary of the Sad. I would like us to read Sense and Sensibility by Jane Austen. Thank you very much for listening. For more information, visit outsideofadogcast.com. Would you say that it has a gothic edge to it? Please, obviously. I mean, the castle... Wait, wait, wait. I decided we have to have a gothic buzzer whenever we mention the word gothic. Okay. Yeah, that's a stupid idea. <laughs> no, you were, you were about to say. It's maybe no surprise that... <laughs> Asshole. This is the song that is called I'm not the one editing this episode. Oh shit, I forgot about that. <laughs>